Shalom and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com and our study of Sefer Dvarim. My name is Menachem Liptag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Ki Shur number 3 out of 6. Our study today will begin in chapter 22, verse 13 and conclude in chapter 23, verse 9. Most all of the topics today will relate to marriage and different types of relationships. And in general, if we follow the pattern that we've been noting so far, these are all expansions of the commandment in the Aserta Dibrot of Lotinav that shall not commit adultery. We're going to expand that concept into cases which are not exactly adultery, but on the other hand, not your classic or perfect marriage. You may have also noticed that when it comes to the second half of the Ten Commandments, we're not going to follow the same clear-cut order that we found in the first half of the Ten Commandments. And that's for a simple reason, because even in the Ten Commandments, the last five, especially the last four of the last five, of Lot Tirzach, Lot Tinaf, Lot Tignov, and Lot Te'anat Berechai Chakar, they are all one verse and they're very short. And in many ways, as they are one verse, they can be considered one topic in the realm of Ben Adam Lechavero, man's relationship with his fellow man. Therefore, we'll be jumping into expansions of all four of these prohibitions. And even though we had an expansion of Lo Tignov, in regard to returning lost items, in yesterday's topic, today we return to the topic of Lotinaf, which we already saw in the beginning of the parsha with the laws of Eshet Yifat But in general, almost all the topics today will be an expansion of the concept of Lotinaf, not to commit adultery, or basically treat marriage with respect and honor. So let's begin in Perak Chapet Pasek Gemo, chapter 22, verse 13. Ki ish isha, should a man take a wife, and after having relations with her, he finds himself hating her? Now, what should he do? Well, he could admit the truth and say, I made a mistake. But instead of doing that, he's going to make false accusations against her. Verse 14, And he charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her, giving her a bad name. And he says now in public about his wife, this is the woman that I took in marriage and I had relations with her and I didn't find that she was a virgin. The assumption here of Chumash that this is a trumped-up charge, and Alilah is when you make up a story. And of course, the person who is evil here is the husband who's making up a story about his wife and instead of he taking his own responsibility for not liking her, he puts the blame on her and makes up a story about her that isn't true. To prove her innocence, the father now gets involved in verse 15 in Pasuk Tedvav. V'lakach avi ha-nara v'ima v'otziu et betulei ha-nara el-zikne ha-ir ha-sha'ara. Then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city to the gate. Recall, as we saw in the beginning of Parshat Shoftim, that the Beitim, or the court, would sit at the gates of the city. And because this is publicly defaming her daughter, they're going to go to the court at the gate of the city and make a claim that this man is making up this story. And to prove her innocence, they bring a proof that she was a virgin. Exactly, again, how they prove that, that's a little complicated and beyond the scope of today's shiur. Pasuk Zion, verse 16. The father of this young girl, will say to the elders at the court, 
את ביתי נתתי לאיש הזה, לאישה, וישנאה. I gave my daughter as a wife to this man, but he turned against her and hated her. פסק י"ז, והנה הוא שם עלילות דברים לאמור, לא מצאתי לביתך בתולים, ואלה בתולי ביתי, ופרסו השמלה לפני זקני העיר. And behold, he says, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city, and this garment will serve as a proof of her virginity. Verse 18, Pasuk Then the elders of the city, when they accept this claim of the father, shall take this man, they shall flog him. Liaser means to make someone suffer. The rabbinic understanding here, the Mesechet Ketuvot, Daf Membav, is that this refers to giving him malkot or giving him lashes. In addition to being flogged, Pasuk Yotet, verse 19, they also give him a financial penalty of a hundred talents of silver, the normal dowry of a bride, as we'll see later on in Pasuk Haftet, in verse 29, is 50 shekel, and here we see that the penalty he must pay is double that, that is a hundred shekel, mei and Beitim will give that money to the father of the bride, because this man made a false charge against a virgin of Israel, and she shall remain his wife, he cannot divorce her all of his days. Nowadays, that would seem like more of a punishment for the wife than for the husband, that she has to remain with him, but the simple reading here means the opposite. If she wants to remain with him, he is not permitted to divorce her because of this false charge he made. But the assumption is, if she wants to divorce, she can leave the marriage. She's not forced to stay with him, but he no longer has the option to divorce her if she wants to remain his wife. That's the case if they indeed prove her claim that she was a virgin. Now we see the flip side in verse 20 in Pasuk Chaf. But if it was true, this claim, and there was no proof that she was a virgin, now between verse 20 and 21 is the assumption that in the meantime, two witnesses appeared and brought proof that between the time that she was engaged until the time that the marriage took place, that she had an affair with someone else, and having an affair with another man after being engaged, but before marriage, that's considered adultery, and hence, the biblical punishment for that would be death. Therefore, should that be the case, Pasuchav Aleph, verse 21, Then they shall take out this young lady to the entrance of her father's house, and all the men of the city shall stone her to death, because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house, and by doing so, you will have wiped out this evil from your midst. In modern times, this type of punishment would be unthinkable, even if she did commit a sin of this sort. But the Torah here is emphasizing how terrible an act this is, and an act like this deserves stoning to death. I highly doubt that this type of execution ever happened, but again, like the case of a Ben Sorel More, like the case we saw before of a rebellious child, Chumash is taking an extreme presentation of a death penalty in order to wipe out evil from our midst so that we should understand how terrible this type of behavior is and how 
for this type of behavior, a person deserves to die. If the actual death penalty was carried out in this manner, that is a different question. Next, in verse 22, we have the classic case of adultery, where there is an affair which is consensual. Should it be found that a man has slept with a woman who is married? Both of them should be put to death. The man who slept with this woman and the woman. And in that manner, you will get rid of this evil from Israel. Basically, we learn from here that the punishment for Lotinaf is a death penalty. And again, as we mentioned before, whether such types of punishments were actually carried out is in question. But Chumash is emphasizing how terrible this type of behavior is, and these people deserve to be put to death. Now we have a bit of a different case where the relationship is not consensual. Pasuch of Gimel, verse 23. Should there be a young girl who is a virgin, who is engaged to be married to a certain man, and another man found her in the city, and he slept with her. Here the assumption is that this was consensual. Pasach Abdallah, verse 24. Then you shall take both of them to the gate of that city. They shall be put to death by stoning. The girl, because she did not scream out in the city, the assumption being if she would have screamed, he would have stopped and she could have saved herself. If she didn't scream, that shows that she consented to this. The etaish and the man as well, has to be put to death. And the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. And again, as we've seen in all the previous cases, by doing this, you will purge the evil from your midst. In all the commentaries, it becomes quite clear that if this was not consensual, and if she didn't scream because she was scared or for whatever reason, then for sure she's not put to death. Her ability to cry out is simply an indicator of whether she agreed to this relationship or not. But if this was in the field that the man found this young lady who was engaged, and he held her, or basically he raped her and slept with her, and this was totally against her will, then only the man who slept with her, only he is going to be punished. Here the assumption is, even if she screamed, no one would have heard her anyhow, and that's why she didn't scream. But again, it's clear that this was not consensual. Verse 26 explains, Pasach Hafav, To the young lady, do absolutely nothing. She has no punishment. This young lady, her sin is not worthy of a death penalty. This case is more similar to one man going and murdering another person that's what this man did. Because it was in the field, there's no way she could have saved herself. She could not have screamed even if she wanted to. Therefore, what he did is similar to murder. Verse 27, Pasach Because he found her in the field and took advantage of that situation. Even if the young woman who was engaged would have screamed out and cried and complained, no one could have helped her. And therefore, the act that the man did is similar to murder, and therefore she has no punishment at all, and he should be put to death. Now comes the next case, where the young woman was not engaged to anyone, but someone slept with her. Pasach verse 28. Ki imtza ish nara betula asher lo arasa, 
Should a man find a young lady who's a virgin, who was not engaged, and he held her or grabbed her and slept with her, and what happened was discovered by the court or by other people. Pasachaptet, verse 29. Then the man who slept with that woman must pay the father 50 shekel, which is the standard dowry of a lady who is going to be married. And now he has to take the responsibility and keep her as his wife. Because he violated her, he cannot divorce her for the rest of his days. Again, as we said before, the assumption is if she wants to leave this marriage, she has the right, but he does not have the ability to divorce her because once this happened to her, it would be hard for her to marry anyone else. And therefore, if she wants to remain in this marriage, he must stay with her and cannot divorce her. Now we begin chapter 23 with more examples of forbidden relationships. Pasuk Aleph, verse 1. Lo yikach ish et eshet aviv, velo kenaf aviv. A man must not take his father's wife, and thus he must not pervert that which is private to his father. Legalot is to uncover, and kenaf usually means the robe or the garment of the man. Recall in the story of Ruth, in Megillah Ruth chapter 3, Nomi tells Ruth to meet Boaz when he's sleeping at the threshing floor and tells her to go over and uncover his feet where he's lying down. That's Legalot. And when Boaz notices her and he asks Ruth, Who are you? She says, Ruth asks Boaz that he should spread his robe over his maidservant, because you are my redeemer. So we see from Megillat Ruth that Legalot Kenaf relates to a marriage type relationship. Now we enter a wider range of forbidden marriage relationships. In chapter 23, verse 2, Pasuk Bet, One who is emasculated or one whose male organ was cut off, they shall not enter the assembly of God. They're not allowed to enter into marriage relationship with another Jew. The Gemara Nyavamaslo says they can marry a convert, a ger, or they can also marry a slave who is freed. Pass verse 3. A mamzer, a bastard, that's a child born after a forbidden relationship. For example, after a case of adultery or a case of incest, that child cannot marry anyone within the nation of Israel, but again, permitted to marry a convert or a freed slave. Even up to the 10th generation, they cannot enter the assembly of Hashem. This raises a famous question, why did this child have to suffer for the sin of his parents? But that's a more general question in regard to punishments of parents on children. The knowledge that this child would be banned from the community forever, hopefully that understanding would encourage them not to have that relationship. And the knowledge of the law of the mamzer hopefully would prevent such forbidden relationships to take place in the first place. Now in verse 4, we talk about other nations wanting to marry with an Am Yisrael, what is permitted and what is not. Pasuk Dalet, verse 4. An Ammonite or a Moabite cannot enter or marry in to the assembly of God or to the Jewish people. Even to the 10th generation, 
they cannot enter the assembly of God forever. And now Chumash explains in verse 5. Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And also because they hired to curse you, Bilam, the son of Boar, from Ptor of Aram Naraim or Mesopotamia. And due to their evil intentions, the Torah says, never marry someone from that nation. The rabbis understand that this prohibition is only against male descendants of Ammon and Moab, but not female descendants, and that leads to the famous story of Ruth HaMoaviyah, who enters into the Jewish people, marries Boaz, and her great-grandson will be King David. It's interesting to note that the reason for this prohibition of marrying an Ammonite or Moabite stems from the fact they did not do Hachnasat Orchim, they were not kind in meeting us with food and water when we were traveling through the desert. Now, if you go back to the story of the original birth of Ammon and Moab, their father was Lot, and the whole story of Lot began with the lack of hospitality in the city of Stone. That story began with the hospitality of Avram Avinu in chapter 18 in Sefer Breshit, when he met those three men, brought them to his house, gave them bills, took care of them. And Avram Avinu's behavior was in direct contrast to the behavior of the people in Stone, who, as the Navi Cheskel explains, even though it was a wealthy and prosperous society, in Echesco chapter 16, verses 48 and 49, we're told the sin of stone was they did not care about the poor and the needy. They were wealthy and had all the food and provisions they needed. They could not care less or did not support those who were in need. So it was that character that represents the city of stone and the sons of Lot's daughters, Ammon and Moab, reflect that type of behavior of the city of stone. But the female descendants from Lot, like Ruth, they can fix that behavior, and that brings us back to David, who becomes the king that is known for doing justice and righteousness, and they fix that bad behavior that was typified by stone, they can come and fix it. And that's why the story of Ruth is so important and part of Tanakh. Now Chumash continues to explain why it was that Amisar was saved from this curse of Bilam. Pasuk Vav, verse 6. your God, did not agree to hear the prayer of Bilam. And Hashem, your God, turned around that curse to a blessing. Because Hashem, your God, loved you, protected you, and saved you from that curse and the evil that Ammon and Moab tried to bring against you. Therefore, Pasuk Zion, verse 7, Lo tidrosh shlomam betovatam, olam, you should never seek their peace or their prosperity all of your days. Basically, Chumash is saying have nothing to do with the people of Ammon and Moab. It's interesting though, on the other hand, we were commanded, as we learned back in chapter 2 in Sefer Dvarim, in Moshe Rabbeinu's first speech, that we were not allowed to attack them because they had their inheritance that God gave them on the other side of the Jordan, on the eastern bank of the Dead Sea. And the rabbis explained, why were Ammon and Moab given an inheritance? What merit did they have for God to take care of them and give them a land? That was because when Avram went down to Egypt, Lot kept quiet and didn't say anything about the fact that Sarah was indeed Avram's wife. So for the merit of doing nothing, they received their land. 
but also because they did nothing to help us later on, we're not allowed to marry them. And therefore, sometimes passivity is worthy of merit when you don't do something, when you could do something bad. And sometimes passivity, when you should be doing something good, is frowned upon. And for that reason, we cannot enter relationships with the people of Ammon and Moab in marriage. In contrast to Ammon and Moab, the cases of Edom in Egypt will be a little bit different. Pasachet verse 8. You should not detest an Edomite because he's your relative, he's your brother. And you should not detest an Egyptian because you are a stranger in his land. Therefore, verse 9, Their offspring, their sons who were born after the third generation, they can enter the assembly of God. In other words, after three generations, they're permitted to marry members of Israel. Of course, it's only after they do proper conversion, then it's permitted to marry them. You can't marry them if they don't become Jewish first. In regards to Edom, the descendants of Esau, it's quite interesting because Esau himself, even though he's usually viewed as an evil character, he has some very good qualities, especially in regard to honoring his father. And therefore, there is some potential good in Esau. Therefore, after three generations, it's okay for them to re-enter with the Jewish people. And historically, that's pretty much what happened during the middle and end of the Second Temple period when the Edomites were converted by the Hasmoneans and basically Edom pretty much disappeared. According to some historians, they became absorbed together with the Jewish nation in, in the middle of the Second Temple period. So in many ways, Yaakov and Esav historically have become one again. And even more interesting is the fact that even though Egypt was so mean to us and enslaved us for so many years, the very fact that in the beginning of our going down to Egypt, when Yaakov and his sons first came down, we had special status in Egypt. And thanks to the Egyptians, we were saved from the famine. Of course, Yosef helped the Egyptians as well. But the very fact that they opened the doors to the entire family, that sort of balances out the evil behavior that happened generations later. Therefore, right away when we come out of Egypt, it's forbidden to accept a convert from Egypt, but three generations down the line, it will be permitted. So what did we learn from all these laws? I don't think the main thing we learn is the need to put people to death for these types of relationships. In modern day society, that would not be very acceptable. But on the other hand, the need to respect the institution of marriage and to make sure that adultery and rape do not take place, those remain key values in Judaism, and people breaking those laws may be deserving of a death penalty, and that understanding hopefully can serve as a preventive measure to make sure that that type of behavior does not happen. Instead, to create a society that represents God, the institution of marriage must be respected, and historically that becomes one of the key values of Jewish life. In tomorrow's show, we will continue with these various laws about day-to-day -day life that we continue to find in Parshat Ki Tetzeh.